Hi, it's Barry from Body Mark Personal Training here. I want to welcome you to the new podcast for 2021. The podcast is where we're going to have conversations with clients who are training with us at present and those who've seen real results using all the services we offer. And those results are long-term, sustainable and achievable. If you want to know more about what we do here, just send me an email at barry at barrymarkfitness.com or check out our website, www.barrymarkpt.com. Welcome to episode four with me, head PT Josh, and special guest, Alex Pearson. Alex is a qualified nutritionist and owner of Body Matters Health Coaching. And in this episode, we discuss selecting the right nutrition approach for you, dealing with lockdown eating and drinking habits, how to factor in social events for when lockdown eases, dealing with plateauing, weight loss, and so much more. Please grab a pen and paper, make some notes because you will learn something from this episode. And as always, please like, share, rate and review, and most importantly, enjoy the episode. Okay, hi and welcome Alex to the BMPT podcast. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me in this, uh, in, in a digital sense, at least. <laughs> and it's very, very surreal, but hopefully we're not, we're not too long away now. Only a couple more weeks to return mm. back into the gym, get to see yeah. your faces again. <laughs> yeah, uh, 3D faces, I believe. <laughs> they, I think they still exist. <laughs> um, so I wanted to jump in quite quickly with this and get, the, get it started um, with that sort of date in mind. Um, so people are going to be returning back into the gym after potentially what three three months or so off. Mm. Um, now, in your opinion, is nutrition something that they should be looking at to begin with, or should they be looking mm. at other areas, or what kind of understanding do you think they should have on their mm. nutrition? Yeah, I think that's a great a great question and a great place for us to start because I think. It's useful to acknowledge that when it comes to fitness or nutrition, it's very easy for people to oscillate between doing nothing or trying to do everything all at once. And as you alluded to, in hopefully the next couple of weeks, people will be heading back into the gym for the first time in potentially quite a while. And it will readily feel like to many people okay now's the time to start trying to do absolutely everything and don't get me wrong i think for some people if they already have the uh, the skills accumulated to to do that that can be fine however uh when it comes to nutrition i would just caution people to take it one step at a time if those initial steps feel challenging right if it feels challenging to get back into the gym and return your habits around exercise to where they were then nutrition can wait now if it doesn't feel like a challenge to get back in the gym if you're just raring to go and you have a nutrition based goal then by all means uh, start looking at that straight away but I think it just varies dependent upon how easy or difficult it feels for people to return a life to some kind of normal yeah i think like very very good point so i think when people initially like get back into the gym it's going to be a 
sort of a rush to like, oh, I must start tracking again. Let's get, mm. let's download my fitness pal. Let's work out all my macros. And, yeah. and it's like any new starter coming into the gym for the first time in terms of exercise, they wouldn't mm. initially go right to like a back squat and putting a hundred <laughs> kilos on the back. It would be like the starting steps of the body weight squat and so on. And it's, it's yeah. very, very similar to, to your nutrition. So what yeah. kind of areas would you sort of advise someone mm. to start off with from the basics? Mm, that, that's a great way of, of framing it because it is very easy to go straight into the deep end. And actually, the first place I would recommend that people start is to have a good appraisal of whether they want to change their nutrition. I know me and you have talked a whole bunch about the importance of separating exercise and nutrition from the off because I think they often become bundled up altogether and people kind of get that sense of going, well, there's no point in going to the gym if I'm not doing X, Y, Z with how I eat. And I would love to disavow people of that notion yeah. as, uh, as quickly as possible because exercise is wonderful regardless of what you do with changing how you eat. And equally, changing how you eat is great even if you don't exercise. So they really are two separate wheels here. Yeah. Um, so that's actually the first place I would recommend people start. Just get a clear sense of what actually do you want to achieve and what domain will yeah. will actually facilitate you to achieve that. Um, before we start looking at specific nutrition strategies, because if you don't, in my opinion, anyways, if you don't get that piece in place, then all the nutrition strategies in the world. Yeah. It's it's kind of like you're building building your house on sand. Yeah, it's it's that phrase "don't run before you can walk." Um, mm, it's like totally. looking back into it into a gym scenario. It's like you wouldn't be set out stuff like wanting to hit certain numbers on on a on a squat on, on things like that if you mm. can't adhere to training three times a week. Uh, yeah. it's, it's it's the same with um, kind of your nutrition if you can't understand sort of where you want to go in terms of your goals and sort yeah. of adhering to that um, it becomes mm. very very difficult mm. um, so would you get someone for example who right they'll, they'll do want to, to have a look mm. at the nutrition yeah. Um, yeah what would be the first process would it be mm. sort of food diary would it be mm. what kind of where would you where would you start with them yeah, nice. So we've made the decision that actually, yes, I want to look at my new nutrition. Yes, it fits my goals, etc. Yeah. Well, one of the first places that we've often, we, before pre-COVID, <laughs> back in yesteryear. Oh, um, what was that? <laughs> I know, right. Um, that we did in workshops with uh, some, some of the members was essentially to start looking for the most calorie dense places in someone's week that is easiest to change. So it's this idea of going, you've got two variables. You've got where is the most calories in somebody's week, right? And what of those areas feels easiest for them to alter? So for example, this might be somebody who uh, is drinking full sugar coke, for example, right? And they're drinking three, four bottles a week. And 
you know, in those workshops we'd sit down and go, okay, so your full sugar coat, that's a couple of hundred calories a bottle. Do you realize that is contributing to not being able to lose weight, et cetera, et cetera? Person goes, oh no. Well, I mean, I don't mind just drinking Diet Coke. It makes no difference to me. Yeah. I'll change that. That would be a, an example of these two, uh, the, the subsection of these two variables, right? You've got lots of calories and something that's easy to change. Now, you can flip that a slightly different way and say, again, for that same person, if they said, oh yeah, well, actually I hate Diet Coke and I don't want to give up my Cokes, then that doesn't meet that criteria and we'd look for something else. It, it's not easy for them to change. Yeah. Um, so it really is the combination of those two things because we might be able to locate all the calories in the world in somebody's week, but it's really hard to change. Equally, we might um, have a whole host of things that are easy to change that basically make no difference to somebody's calorie intake. And in neither of those, uh, in neither of those situations, gets people where they want to go. So for me, it really is a case of starting with your easy wins framed in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, as, and especially over these these last few few months, like I know from from conversations I've had with people recently, it's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm drinking a little bit too much, or mm. my, my days seem a lot more stressful. Yeah. Um, just kind of what you what you talked about. There's there's it's a little bit of a difference between sort of women to to, to men mm. um, with them sort of like I say liquid calories. Um, so a, a woman, for example, if she's drinking sort of a few cans of Coke a day, for example, the, the her threshold of, of the calories is it, it meets quite quickly. Um, so is there really kind of a different approach mm. you could advise women to do or to men, or is it quite generic the the, the same? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question, and you hit on something that is the bane of every woman's <laughs> existence when dieting. Uh, again, in those workshops, I always kind of joked about you know the one guy who attends the Weight Watchers meeting who loses about twenty nine pounds a week, right? <laughs> While all the women are just fuming, having put in a pound on, right? And when we drill all the way down on the reason for that is that unfortunately ladies men burn more calories so if we take a man and a woman of the same weight and height the man will naturally burn more calories so as you just alluded to that gives them more wiggle room essentially in how much they eat and uh, again, I'm not sure if that's uh, going to be comfort for any <laughs> ladies listening who have spent years watching their husband eat 10 Kit Kats a day and basically stay exactly the same. Um, I hear that all the time. Though. It's like, oh, my, yeah. hubby, my, hubby, my hubby can eat however much food he wants and he never changes, right? but I could just look at a, a digestive <laughs> biscuit. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it, uh, I, I was literally just actually having this conversation with one of my clients before this chat and we were saying about how you can have this perfect storm of if you've got a lady, well, you've got a woman who is also inactive, and what I mean by that, not necessarily exercise, but doesn't have an active job where she's walking around and is quite short, you've basically got a recipe there for somebody who doesn't expend a lot of calories, meaning actually you've got to get that intake quite low in order to consistently lose weight. 
But to bring this back around to what I was saying about finding the subset of things that are easy to change and that would have the biggest impact, I think that can still uh, apply across men and women. Uh, it, but it really is the case of identifying for that person, for, for, you know, if somebody's listening to this, have a think for you, where in your week is your biggest calorie spikes? Yeah. And once you've got those, those list them in order of ease to ease to change and start with the easy ones. So almost regardless of where your threshold for weight loss is or isn't, that's still not a bad way to get the ball rolling after potentially, a, you know, a, quite a while now where, like you say, being more stressful, a bit more drinking been happening, all been sat at home, etc. Yeah, yeah, I think I think yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's like people have got to find something that's easy, but it's got to mm. fit also into their the lifestyle and, and the choices that mm. they want. Like, it, it, you can't go from like zero to one hundred. You can't go from taking everything away. It's still got you. Still got to have some some fun through your diet and, and through, through those choices. Mm. Um, Kind of, you just touched on a, on a really good point about that. The, for example, the lady you, you're talking about. A lot mm. of people are, are now forced to work from home. Mm. They're, they're, they're sat on the bones a lot every yeah. day. Um, like how much, how much of a difference does does that have um, in a way of like weight loss? So mm. not being as active. Mm. Yeah. So I think there's this quite odd asymmetry with activity and weight loss which is that for most for most people adding significant amounts of exercise to their average week won't do a huge amount for fat loss unless three criteria are met that is one you've got to have the genetics to do it and what i mean by that is somebody's got to be able to add a lot of exercise to their week and not become subsequently more hungry mm -hmm. right uh, we've all heard the phrase oh I was out for a, a, a walk in the country in that country air you know walk you know give me such a good appetite <laughs> well it wasn't the country air it was the fact that you've been walking all day yeah. right so we we know that for some people when they increase physical activity their appetite goes up now, as I just said, that varies between people. Some people, basically not at all. Some people compensate hugely. So if somebody's increase in exercise in their week is going to have a significant impact on their fat loss, they need to be genetically lucky in that regard. Secondly, they need to have the time to basically make it a part-time job. And then thirdly, they already need to be quite fit. Yeah. Because for a beginner with exercise unfortunately they're not going to be fit enough to be able to burn enough calories in order to lose weight mm -hmm. right whereas if say we've got some kind of intermediate amateur endurance athlete yeah fine you can sit on your sit on your bike and burn through a couple of thousand calories you're fit enough to do it but most people don't as I was just saying have the time or the fitness level to do that so on the one hand Exercise has this unreliable impact on fat loss. Now, the other portion that you're alluding to is daily physical activity. Mm 
which is differentiated by, from exercise by um, the fact that daily physical activity involves basically all the other movement that we might do during the day. Are we a retail worker walking around a, a shop and carrying boxes? Are we on a building site or are we sat in an office chair? And that difference in physical activity, daily physical activity, explains a significant difference between people. If anybody's listening to this and has, you know, had a friend or another gym member where you've looked at them and went, God, they're, you know, they're, they're only eating X, Y, Z and they've lost all this weight and I haven't. A lot of the time, that is just because somebody, people have very different physical activity levels in their day. So that is a place that will make a significant difference. So if, for example, somebody has went from uh, a more, uh, their job being in a more active location, let's say, yeah. even if that just means, well, I've got a, you know, I, I used to get up and walk to, walk into the office. Yeah, big one that a lot of people yeah. I've spoke to is about, like, just because of the, um, like the COVID restrictions about not yes. being able to walk around in an office or Precisely. climb eight flights of stairs to get there, that kind of thing. Yep. Like that's, yeah. a big, that's a big thing that's, that's changed. And a lot of people, yep. are, um, I think, have realized that with, like you said, weight gain and weight loss. Mm. Yeah, exactly, right? So it's that that area of difference. So if being active before, like say, walking around the office, flight of stairs, etc., and now it's literally, well, I go from my bedroom to my spare bedroom, right, <laughs> yeah. in the morning. Um, and you pair that with an increase in food consumption, mm -hmm. then unfortunately that can uh, contribute to weight gain. But equally, if somebody's listening to this and you feel like you're going to be working from home for the foreseeable future as companies potentially shift in this way in general, yeah, yeah, yeah. my recommendation would be to, to think about how you want to set your day up uh, because it's quite it's quite a lot more flexibility working from home I you know I've been working from home for <laughs> well yeah. basically all just make, well, all my you know a, a huge amount all my career yeah um, and it does give you way more flexibility. So if you're listening to this and you're going, yeah, I'm, I am way, way less active now, have a think about how you want to restructure your, uh, your life and your working day. You know, do, does your day start with a metaphorical walk to work where really you just leave your house and walk around the block and come back and then enter your office and there's your walk to work, right? to replace what you lost and that at bare minimum will help you feel mentally prepared for the day as well as a little boost in energy expenditure to replace the uh, the extra half an hour that everyone's enjoying in bed because they don't have to walk to work yeah precisely right <laughs> no but that's that's again it, kind of what we talked back to to someone coming back into the gym the, mm. the easy little wins the easy changes yeah. for nutrition um and i think the initial change to work from home has probably affected a lot of people quite they don't it's not their normal surroundings mm. a lot of the, they're in the lounge it's much more comfortable mm. they're relaxed the mm. like you said the option to walk to the kitchen is there yeah. throughout the day mm. so what kind of little tips would you give 
to people that are working from home, like you said, mm. setting up your day. Um, what 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 would you what would you recommend to do, for them to do? Yeah, so I think I would start off with something that doesn't appear to be nutrition related initially, and that would be to as best you can create a separation in your home environment between your workspace and your living space. I think that's yeah. just good yeah. for sanity in general. Yeah, but the way it relates to nutrition is that let's say somebody, well, I've got my laptop and you know now I work from home and I sit at the kitchen table, right? Well, that change means that the availability of food has gone up significantly and human appetite responds to availability so uh, you might remember this from one of my old presentations actually but I often tell this incredibly bad joke about or ask people what would, would you feel more drawn to would you feel more drawn to the dish of sweets on your desk or a skip full of celery at the end of the road <laughs> Right? And everybody goes, why are you joking? It's the dish of sweets on the desk. right? And that is precisely because they are more calorie dense and more available. right? So generally, if we have more calorie dense things that are closer to us, our natural appetite is going to be higher. When so you, if, sorry, When you say calorie yeah. dense, what, what do you kind of mean by uh, so. Good question, yes. <laughs> Make me define what I'm actually talking about. Yeah, calorie dense. So... A simple way to think about calorie density is calories per gram, right? Now, I'm not saying you've got to sit down and do all the maths here, but if we think of a piece of lettuce, right? I have no idea how many calories is in a piece of lettuce, about 0.3, right? So if we uh, weighed out 100 grams of lettuce, it'd be like five odd calories. It's got a very, very low calorie density. But it's huge Where, Bingo, yeah, massive volume of food. Yeah. Whereas if we get a, say, a tablespoonful of oil, a Mars bar, something like that, um, again, much smaller, yeah. much smaller, might be the same weight, so the calorie density is way higher. E.g., my skip full of celery, very low calorie density, miles away, not appealing. Yeah. Dish of sweets on my desk, very calorie dense, yeah. very available. So if you're sat in your kitchen, at your kitchen table working, then just knowing that your, on average, somebody's natural appetite will be higher just because of the increased availability means that I think that we, from working from home, we should try our best to have a good separation. So create yourself a separate working space um, that is, oh, yeah, away from the kitchen, away from food, all these kinds of things that will both help your productivity, but also not give you the same stimulus to go, oh, I'm just going to grab a handful of those. Oh, I've just spotted the cereal on the worktop. Yeah. Oh, I've just, etc., etc. right? Um, I think that's a decent starting point uh, for most people. And you can take that further and say, well, there's alterations to the layout of your kitchen that you can yeah. do uh, so that again things become less available bring, and less noticeable as well. The, bring stuff to the, the, the front of the fridge and the, the more tastier stuff at the, the back and same with the cupboards. Yeah exactly you just basically you just take this principle of going okay what 
are the most calorie dense things that I struggle to control my consumption of, right? And now what's the opposite, right? What are the least calorie dense things which I could basically take or leave? And you make the calorie dense things less accessible, less obvious, a little bit more hidden, and you make the, excuse me, the lower calorie dense foods that you are less likely to overconsume more obvious. And then suddenly we're not having to fight the painful willpower-esque yeah. battles to try and stop taking biscuits because actually we're not cued to consume them as much because we don't see them. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that I actually um, done through lockdown is I, I got a, a whiteboard and just had my Monday to Sunday and just had, mm. it wasn't every single meal, but it was just like a planned meal um, mm. at different times and it just like it provided a little bit more structure because mm. I think that's what maybe some people are, um, find hard to deal with because that structure's gone out. The lunchtime mm. break sometimes, it, the, the whole day might feel like a, a lunchtime if it's a quiet yeah. day, um, mm. the telly's on, the etc, etc. Um, so mm. yeah, so having that little bit of structure I think will, will, will definitely help. Mm. Um, so we touched on it um, a, a while back about kind of, you were saying about the, the woman who drinks the, the full fat cook. Uh, yeah, that yeah. being some of the other changes, we have um, sort of generally a lot of a lot of our members. They have kind of social lifestyles of going mm. out, um, having very social with friends, whether it be on mm. Zoom or, um, or out. How how would you factor in like uh, someone that has a quite a social lifestyle into into their week, into their nutrition? Mm. So mm. how how would you how would you do that? Mm. Yeah, so I think it the initial consideration is frequency. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is say going out a couple of times a month, then for most goals, it is the case of saying that, you know what, go out, have a couple of drinks, enjoy yourself, and it, it probably won't make that much difference. Mm -hmm. Now, the higher the frequency, your, your weekly or daily frequency goes up, basically the more changes somebody potentially might have to make to what they are or aren't eating when they go out, right? So again, if somebody's up at, say, twice a month, then they've got more flexibility. Whereas if that's three, four times a week, then the changes to what say what they're eating or drinking might have to to increase and if we're talking about alcohol i often recommend that people think in terms of ratios and what i mean by that is what is the ratio of alcoholic drinks to calorie free drinks that somebody has when they go out right so you might say i'm going to have a one-to-one -one ratio so for every glass of wine, I, uh, after I finish that glass of wine, I have a Diet Coke and you alternate. Mm. Obviously, you could go two to one, right? <laughs> so you could go for every uh, glass of wine, I'm going to have two Diet Cokes. Or you flip that around the other way. For every two glasses of wine, I'm going to have one Diet Coke, right? And you, you can play the ratio game what all the way up. What happens when it's like 10 to one? <laughs> uh, 
Well, you don't get home, um, <laughs> I think is the answer. Yeah, um, spewing in the gutter. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, which uh, I do not recommend. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so thinking in ratios, I think, is a, is a starting point for people to be able to answer the question of how can I moderate my calorie consumption while also not giving up my entire lifestyle. And again, I go back to this point that I said earlier, so often, particularly with alcohol, people fall into those all or nothing camps. Well, I'm just going out with the the girls, the guys, whoever it is, and we're drinking, so it's game on, right? Or it's well, I'm you know I'm I'm gonna be doing my dieting thing now, so I'm not gonna go out. Yeah. And again, I think both of those extremes can be a little bit problematic. Whereas developing the skill of moderating how much you have, potentially by using the ratios I mentioned, can create something that is actually well to use a, a, a painful metaphor, allows you to have your cake and eat it. Yeah. I think just going back to when we first started, it's like, so potentially this, this person might be a little bit more social. Their, their main, mm. main driver of when they are going out is the social aspect. It's not necessarily yeah. the, the alcohol. So that's a really good way of thinking. I think like, okay, I could have a glass of wine with my, mm. with my starter, let's say, mm. if I'm having a meal out. I'm still being social, but I can have a, a Coke. For my, yeah. for my mimi, and I could have a couple after, and it, and it, yeah, you find that balance. Um, Pre- yeah, you've, 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 you've absolutely nailed it there, because the crux of those social interactions, as we've all become painfully aware of the last twelve months, is not the food. It's not the wine for most people. It's the other people. It's the connections. The it's the conversations. Yeah. yeah, the environment, right? And so by thinking in terms of, say, ratios like that, you're able to shift your focus and go, actually, what do I care about here? Uh, do I care that much about this wine or do I care about having a conversation and see sharing experience, yeah. see my friend, uh, sharing experiences, yeah. having a laugh, all yeah. those kinds of things? Right. Oh, actually, yeah, that's what I care about yeah. more than being able to have, you know, this specific type of wine or whatever it is. And I suppose it might, it, it kind of comes similar into, comes very, very similar into how you, you, you diet, and let's say not, not diet, but how you, you maybe track your, your calories and how you track, it shouldn't be necessarily right I work from this period to this period and it's all or nothing, isn't it? It's like mm. I, could, I could work for a couple of weeks and then on a Saturday or a Sunday, that weekend, it's a time where I just relax with my eating. I eat mm. a little bit more, yeah. but I know Monday comes and then that's, that's kind of like maybe your, your two-week ratio to, mm. to a weekend off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are When it comes to structuring how we eat and doing so in a healthy manner there are many 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 ways to skin a cat (laughs) and i think that the primary thing to look for in how you do or don't structure your your own nutrition is to essentially say what will allow me in the long term to be really happy with this 
what will actually allow me to say, yeah, I actively like the way I eat and it also helps me improve my health instead of one or the other. Again, sometimes we we get stuck in this place where we go, well, I like how I eat now, but that's causing me to gain weight, not lose weight, impacting my health, whatever it is. And okay, well, now I need to shift to this other way of eating, which I don't like, but it improves my health. And my challenge would be, to say, well, how do you integrate those two things? Yeah. Because it is it is absolutely possible. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's no that's that's it's a it's a really great way to think about it. and I hope like listeners can sort of picture that for themselves. You could think like, okay, I, I could have a couple of couple of really good strong weeks, my training could be in point, I could mm. just be keeping my food diary, which is holding myself a little bit accountable. Sure. And then I've got something to vision in to say, all right, on that weekend it's treat weekend or something like that mm. and then and then that that com- that cycle I, I think it's 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 difficult because mm. i think when people don't see it like that mm. they get too focused on i'm not getting results i'm trying my hardest and then it's like let go binge binge on maybe something or it just they just lose control mm. uh, yeah so if for example, if that is the someone's current mindset, they're they're, mm. they're, at, they're at that stage now where they're they're, they're in that position of they've, they've lost control. Mm. How would how would they regain that back? Do you think? Would you would you go for something like a food diary? Would it be mm. like an accountability method? Because we talked about mm. we talked about there's not one method. There's loads of different methods. Yeah. Mm. Um, how would you how would you advise that person? Yeah. So. I think that before somebody starts, uh, somebody tries to select an appropriate method for them, I would say if they're at that place where, right, I feel like I've lost control over what I'm eating, uh, I know it's not great, etc., etc., then before you start a new method, I would recommend that people almost take an inventory of what dietary rules from previous approaches are still hanging around in their brains, right? And a lot of the time, if you do this, people will be able to list out, you know, a book's worth, right? Oh, well, it needs to be low fat from Slimming World days, or I need, uh, there's too many points in that from Weight Watchers, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I think it's worthwhile listing out all of those rules and actually doing some sorting and going, of all these previous things that I've done, what was actually useful, what helped me, and what didn't? And then what you do is you get rid of all the ones that you didn't like, that that weren't useful. Well, that was too restrictive. That caused me to have to give up my favorite food. My family didn't like eating in that way. Right, Get rid of all of those. And then what you're left with is essentially a combination of rules that... Um, or guidelines, however you want to uh, to structure it, that personally works for for you from a whole host of different methods and approaches. So essentially, you've you, by doing those two things, you've managed to come up with a reasonably personalised approach yeah. without having to add anything new. And the reason I recommend that is that I think with diets, people bounce from one to the next without actually 
having the time to stop and reflect and think about what they learned from the previous. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, no, that didn't work. It was all bad. I regained the weight, didn't lose any, didn't like that next one. Yeah. Versus actually saying, well, there's probably good and bad components in all of these. Now, what can I learn from them? How can I sift the components that didn't work for me out? And how can I integrate the components that did? So, you know, let's say it's, well, the points from Weight Watchers really helped. Brilliant. Like, think about your points for your snacks, yeah. right, let's say. But, well, the meals from this recipe book, I really like those. Brilliant. Smash those two together, right? Or, um, but I didn't really like having protein shakes or meal replacement shakes from this approach. Cool, get rid of those, yeah. right? And gradually, through that sifting process, you come up with something that's fairly bespoke to you. Yeah, yeah. I loved, I loved how you said about the the, the bounce to bounce approach from from the diets mm. because I think if we touched, if we look into that, people bounce because of something like maybe a plateau. The, mm. it might the the, mm. the weight loss might be going really really well and then they hit a point and it's like oh it's not shifting why is it not <laughs> I've, I'm doing this right I'm following yeah. the, following the approach so what kind of mm. yeah what how would how would um, you bounce back off a plateau mm. what was the next stage for that process mm. Mm. yeah plateaus are very very challenging for people and I think establishing what to do uh, to move from a plateau is aided by understanding the two causes of them. So those causes separate into behavioral, the behaviors that we're doing, and physiological. So I always say to people, please remember that you will not hit a plateau if you haven't dieted successfully, right? Because we have this sense that, oh, I've hit a plateau and that's bad. I've done something wrong. And it's the exact opposite. You've only hit a plateau because you've dieted successfully yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Congratulate yourself. <laughs> Congratulate yourself. It's like, yes, I've done enough of this to plateau. Yeah. Right? And the reason that, uh, the physiological reason that plateaus occur is, well, there's a lot, but the simple one is that when somebody starts out, their body weight is higher. They then successfully diet and they now have a smaller body. A smaller body burns less energy. Therefore, if somebody has been, say, eating 2,500 calories at the beginning and they've been losing weight on it, their body is now smaller. Even if they're eating the same 2,500 calories, their body is now smaller, so they're not in a deficit anymore. Right. Now, there are some other factors which on the physiology side which play in there but uh, maybe that's for a, another day yeah. yeah um then on the behavioral side what the dietary research shows is that as somebody uh continues to diet for longer and longer they become more and more unknowingly non-adherent right so they, what does that kind of mean? Yeah, so basically, what in, in actual English, what that means is that they don't know, they don't realise that they're not sticking to what they initially did. Now, 
An example of this um, has always kind of made me laugh is in the research on food diaries, right? So keep just keeping a food diary. And research shows that if somebody tries to keep a food diary, I think it's for longer than three days, their accuracy declines by round about 75%. Is that kind of like honesty of, of what they're, what they're logging? So, yeah, so it's not... It, it, I always like to stress here that there's there's two different things going on. there, And the primary one is that people forget <laughs> and just don't see it, right? Yeah. Of course, there is that separate component where people are like, ah, I, I know I ate that, but I don't <laughs> want to put it down, right? But just parking that to one side, yeah. the bigger component is the fact that People forget what they've eaten, how much they've eaten. Estimating food portions is a skill and is really hard. Uh, all these things, right? So, what that taking all taking all that together, what that means is, if you plateaued, there's a physiological reason for it because you've got a smaller body. Well done, and there's likely a behavioural reason, which is you've unknowingly stopped being as accurate with what you were doing as you were at the beginning. And again, that's not a bad thing, right? It's just something to be factored in to your own journey with weight loss to go, yeah, I probably, I'm still a human. I am going to be being less accurate, right? Than I was in week one and week two of this. Therefore, I need some kind of reset. How do I regain some accuracy? How do I reset my attention? All these kinds of things. Yeah, I think that's that's um, that that makes a, a really good point, and it's I I hope like the listeners can can sort of pick up on that. But when you hit that reset, I think there's a lot of people get to that stage, and then it's the change. It's kind of what we were talking about. Ah, mm. oh, this doesn't this method doesn't work. Well, yes. Yes, it does because you've just hit a plateau where you've, where you've yeah, and it's and it's like you said, then behavioural issues to try and train and to okay, mm. let's maybe look at some like not look so, look at something else, but let's ease up on what we've been doing, mm. and then regain our focus elsewhere. Because like weight loss is, I think is a, is a main driver for for a lot of people, and sometimes like stepping on the scales. Could mm. you just sort of sort of explain a little bit mm. of? why weight loss isn't like linear so why mm. isn't it like that what, what kind of factors go into into yeah into that yeah the bane of every person's existence that has ever tried to lose weight why does the scale keep going up and down yeah. seemingly at random yeah. kill me I've now worked, i've worked my balls off all week yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, i must admit this is one of my favorite topics so i think i think Often, people have been set up for frustration with the scales from attending um, diet clubs over the years. Because most old school diet clubs would have your weekly weigh-in, yeah. right? And that weekly weigh-in defined your value as a person, right? That's and <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right, totally. Right, and you, all of your week is judged upon that individual moment that you step on the scales and that is in my opinion a very daft way to use the scales because the scales are a tool and like any tool 
they need to be used correctly, right? If I have a hammer and I just try and screw screws in with it, yeah, it's unscrew stuff, not using the tool correctly. So for me, stand on the scales once a week is not using the tool correctly in that way. And what that does is it readily makes it appear like weight loss is going, or somebody's body weight is going all over the place. And that is because the scale measures everything, right? It measures uh, our bones, it measures our lean tissue, and that includes organs as well as muscle mass. It measures body fat, and it measures water. Now, there are some of those tissues that we want to see changes in, right? Typically, most people want to see changes in their muscle mass, and they want to see changes in in their body fat. Most people, if you ask them, don't really care about how much water they currently have in them at any one time, right? unless you really need the loo. Um, and that what, so, go on. Well, I was saying, just like, that comes into factor with, with the, the, the number on the scale, doesn't it? If Precisely. How many foods are we part or how much is in your bowels? So that... Well, there we go, right? So, um, basically, what we want from the scales is for them to give us useful information about body fat and muscle and actually not any information or as little information as we can about how much water we currently have in us or what the contents of our bowels currently is or isn't, right? That's useless, useless information. So, um, now, the other thing to put into play here is that muscle and fat change relatively slowly right you know if i work out today i do some bicep curls tomorrow biceps still the same unfortunately devastating but it's true right equally if i have just salads today body fat tomorrow pretty much the same right so they change really slowly but some of the other tissues that the scales measure can change really quickly Right? So if I have a very carbohydrate dense meal, my water goes up. If I go to the loo, it goes down. I become dehydrated. My water goes down. All these things. And what that means, you put all of that together. And what that means is if we see all these shifts on the scale, all these ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, then what we're seeing there is changes in water and bowel content primarily. And we shouldn't care about them. Whereas if we see longer term Mm -hmm. changes on the scale, then we can start to say, okay, that's more likely to be body fat and muscle changing. So, for example, if somebody has been, let's say, let's say somebody's been weighing themselves daily, right? And been weighing, stand on the scales every single day. What they would see is all these little Uh, or sometimes big swings, up, down, couple of pounds up, couple of pounds down, four pounds up, two pounds down, one pound up, so on and so on and so on. Water and bowel content. However, if they'd done that for, say, two months, you could see a trend in those numbers if they're dieting successfully. And if they're dieting successfully, you'll see a downwards trend. So initially, they might have went from 204 pounds to 201 pounds, 202, 203, 204, 201. But two months down the line, you will still see 
that fluctuation, but now it might be, well now I'm uh, 193, 194, 192, 195, 193. So you're still seeing all this non-linear uh, shifts in the scale because of water and bowel content, but the range that it shifts around has changed, indicating that fat loss has occurred. Yeah, I think I'd say, just listening to that and how much in depth it goes into, it's it's really um, just for like listeners as well thinking, is that one of your primarily things that you want to track because of all the all the areas that go mm. in? So do you have a full understanding of it, and mm. is it kind mm. of suited to you? Because what mm. kind of advice would you, for example, if someone does want to wear themselves, mm. what advice would you give them? Um, thinking about is it the right maybe the choice for mm. them. So, I think first of all, not everybody has to. That's 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 an absolute given. And what dictates for me whether somebody does or not? One obviously depends on their goal, right? Yeah. That's and that's another given. But two, it depends upon what your relationship with the scales is. If you're somebody who can basically step on and just use it as information, akin to looking at the speedo in your car, right, and just going, okay, how fast am I going? Okay, fine, right. Not bothered. Great, use the scales. That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, there's different. Again, as I just alluded to, there's, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's better and worse ways to uh, uh, to use them. But if you pass that test, by all means, use them. Now. If you're somebody who steps on the scales and that dictates the quality of your week, again, akin to looking down at the speedo and seeing that you're actually going 41 miles an hour, so what that causes you to do is slam your foot onto the accelerator and have an argument with the central reservation, then um, potentially scales right now might not be the best thing for you. Now, I want to stress here that, that I... I, I'm a strong believer that that doesn't mean that somebody can never use the scales again. I personally think that we can get our scale usage to a point that it's useful. Yeah, definitely. And that we can develop our, uh, our what's the word, emotional response, turn it down to a degree where it's just a useful tool. But that takes, a lot of the time, help from somebody and it takes time, and I wouldn't recommend necessarily that that's where somebody should be putting their attention if you've got that super strong emotional response to the scales. Yeah. Just choose a different method. It's the same, it's a kind of similar with the with the eating methods, isn't it? It's like yeah. if someone really, really struggles with um, kind of getting too fixated on weighing, weighing things out and getting mm. too over, over stressed on how many calories are in this, like tracking something to the precise gramming yeah. of my fitness pal is not going to be the best option, is it? No. Uh, uh, it, it precisely, is exactly the same. And I think there's a real. Another real disparity in in nutrition approaches which have numbers in them, because on the one side, having numerical approaches is great because it allows us to quantify things and see things in incredibly black and white terms. Right? There's you know there's uh, have I has that number on the scale gone down? Yes or no? Right? How many calories is in this? 
right? Which is good, right? It re in theory, that reduces ambiguity, and that's useful. However, the flip side of that is that we can then, as you just alluded to, run with that too far to the point of yeah. yeah totally we run run way too far with it where we're worrying about the amount of calories in my lettuce and weighing things out to you know oh that's 0 0.6 of a gram over etc etc yeah. right and there the objectivity of the numbers isn't useful anymore because actually it's caused the how labor intense the approach is to go through the roof and generally i don't think labor intense approaches to changing how you eat are particularly useful because well you've got a life you've got a job you've got kids you've got a family to to look after or whatever it is generally if it's too labor intense it's not going to last very long. Now, that might be fine if you're doing something short term that you know how to transition away from. That's great. But again, for most people, that's not what they're doing. You can just end up in this place where it's so labor intense to manage because you're so stressed out by the numbers and the quantification of it all that it's not useful anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you're right there. I think people should keep a very close eye on that. I just remember... Um... Simon, um, when he was on the podcast on mm. the, I think it, the, the second episode, second or third, mm. and he he said one thing that you said to him, and it stuck. And I think it's mm. it, it's when you hear it for someone, just keep it simple, mm. like. And mm. I think for people that are coming back into the gym, like what we said at the start, like that's what they just need to do. Um, mm. Find that simple approach, them simple wins that they can can just just change. Mm. Absolutely, uh, I think nutrition alterations changing how we eat has become almost pseudo mystical i think sometimes where it's like oh smoke and mirrors wow right if you eat in this magical way and change this like this then it's gonna do something special whereas actually that's not really the case and being able to have whatever you do be simple has a far superior impact because it increases the likelihood that you'll actually do it, yeah. <laughs> which beats every magical pseudo nonsense nutrition approach under the sun. No, I think that's um, I think that's a brilliant sort of place to to, to finish it and just cool. reiterate them words like you said. It's 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 keep it as simple and, and as and as basic as possible but i think we're definitely gonna get you um on for another part two alex because i think we can, Excellent. we can go on for for a few hours on, on some of the things we wanted to talk about yeah absolutely. Um, i think it'd be yeah it'd be probably great to get you on towards um the end of april when the, the guys have come back sure. into the gym um and mm. we can kind of reiterate on them points and um mm. there'll hopefully be some, some more conversations with people in the flesh <laughs> yeah um, yeah like absolutely we can pick on um, so just where can sort of people find sort of some of your, your stuff Alex that um, potentially aren't members of BMPT that are listening yeah uh, cool so you can check out our website uh, it's just bodymatters.net uh, uh, same deal on Facebook and uh, primarily we send out most of our content by email um, because generally uh, we don't want to 
pester people unduly if uh, they don't want to hear from us. So if you do want uh, to get our advice and content, then head over to the website, stick your email in, and uh, you will get some uh, regular insight from us. No, that's that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Alex. Um, pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you, and hopefully this ne- next time we can do this, we can do it in person. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, next episode is going to be part two, um, back in the gym. Excellent. Hi, it's Barry here again. I just want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And as a special thanks, if you want to get access to all the Team BMPT ebook resources, then all you have to do is go to barrymarkpt.com forward slash ebook gift, where you'll be able to download over 15 ebooks written by ourselves over the years. And I'm sure you'll find something in there that'll help you get the results that you deserve. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.